Welcome to this Bible Center Church Core class. We hope that this in-depth teaching of God's Word will challenge you to grow in your knowledge of Him and help you become a disciple who makes more disciples. Welcome to our core classes. This is a set of six classes on the Holy Spirit. And as we go through this, it might help you to have the notes with you. If you've had a chance or haven't had a chance, we have a big core class book which says Bible Doctrines on the front. It has all of the 201 level core classes, which is our doctrinal core classes. So if you're interested, you can click online and order one for $10. Uh, $10 is a great deal. Typically, this is seven different books that are $5 a piece. So instead of 35, we put them together. You can buy one for 10 bucks. And it'll give you all the notes for all the classes. Uh, we're probably gonna have additional versions in the future, I'm sure, but this version that we're on right now, version 1.0, we're gonna be on page 183. At the top it says session one, we're doing the person of the Holy Spirit. We are doing this in conjunction with the rollout of the membership statement of faith. And the section of the membership statement of faith that we're gonna be using for this session is in section E, which is called God the Spirit. The first part is the person of the Holy Spirit. There's three points. I'm gonna read those three points and then we're gonna jump into the study. So here's what, here's what it says. Point A, the Holy Spirit is a divine person, not a power, force, or influence. As a member of the Trinity, he fully shares in all divine perfections, attributes, and nature. He is to be worshiped, obeyed, trusted, and served along with God the Father and God the Son. Point B, though one in essence with the Father, the Spirit of God and the Son, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit is distinct in person, relation, and role. C, the Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son. So those three points are basically exactly what we're going to be covering today. So if you would, join me in the notes. We're on session one, the person of the Holy Spirit. To start with, God is triune. And if you went through our Trinity section, you would have heard about this, but I want to briefly touch on it again. And there's some good passages here for us to, to remember. Uh, there are three persons in the Godhead or in the Trinity the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one, the same in substance, equal in power, and in glory. There's several verses in Scripture where you just see the three mentioned together, playing different roles, but on the same level. So we see them distinct in role, same in person. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14 is an example of that. It says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. It's like his concluding statement. It's like his goodbye statement to the Corinthians. And you see the, you see the Son, the Father, and the Spirit just all linked together, just being named one, two, three, all at the same level, playing different roles in the church. Um, in the baptism of Jesus, you see that in Luke. In the other passages that talk about the baptism, you see Jesus in the water, the Father speaking, and the Holy Spirit as a dove descending. So you see all three in action at the same time. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. I'll actually read that verse from the text. It says, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. So again, you see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all mentioned right there together. Even in the Great Commission, when Jesus is talking to us about making disciples, one of the ways that we make disciples is by baptizing 
everyone in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So in the name of is almost like an equation, like the three things mentioned afterwards, the three people mentioned afterwards are on the same level, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we just see over and over again that they are three in one. So a question that I think comes to my mind, probably lots of, people, lots of people's minds, is what did it look like for God to exist in a triune way throughout all of eternity? Well, one, I think it looks like God living in community. You and I are made with a relational nature, like a lot of who we are is based upon who we know and the families we came from. God is similar in that. In fact, I think that reflects God's actual nature. So he lived together in community. Here's some points under point A. The three persons of the Trinity are co-eternal, co-equal, co-existent, and one in essence, yet distinct in person and office, dwelling in perfect, harmonious unity, being three in one. God lives in perfect community and in perfect fellowship. Grudem says it this way, the fact that God is three persons yet one God means that there is no loneliness or lack of personal fellowship on God's part before creation. God did not create out of loneliness. We would say God created out of a super abundance of love. There is so much love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Creation is a result of it, not some desire to add to it. Okay? So creation is the, we see it as the overflow of God's love God decided to create, not because he was lonely or needed something to play with. That's not why creation exists. Personal, relational, giving, receiving, and sharing glory and abounding in love. That's what the Trinity looks like living in community together. In fact, the love and interpersonal fellowship and sharing of glory have always been and will always be far more perfect than any communion that you and I as finite humans will ever have with God. So their own community and fellowship and love for one another is at a level that you and I as humans can never experience. Uh, the picture in my mind is just being at my favorite place with my favorite people with no schedule, enjoying my favorite foods. Just over time you laugh more and more and you're getting into each other's stories and you're talking and you're sharing and the night just goes on so fast and you just, you just want to savor every moment because you're enjoying the community so much. God's community is greater than that and it's been that way forever. Non-stop beautiful community. So God exists without need God exists without lack, and God exists without any loneliness. God dwells in an abundance of joy, love, and happiness. And it's out of that abundance that God created what he made, created what he created, and made what he made. So what did God do throughout eternity? He lived in community. One, two, they lived out their functions and their roles. Each person of the Trinity is coexistent, co-eternal, co-equal, and co-infinite with the others. Genesis 1.26, you see God in a triune manner saying, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. So God in some way, we get a little picture there of them actually talking with one another about what they are about to do. The Trinity is inseparable in operation as all three work together in harmony and common purpose, making their work ultimately indivisible. Okay, yet 
there seems to be some emphasis and some distinction. So who created the world? The Father did, the Son did, and the Spirit did. But at times, the Father is described as creator, sometimes the Son is described as creator, and yet you see that even in the Psalms at times, and even in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, the Holy Spirit was also involved with creation. So who created the world? God did. So he's inseparable to some extent in the terms of the fact that he made it happen, yet there seems to be some distinction in role within the Trinity. Again, we're talking about things that are a little beyond us, but biblically we see both things true. So Allison says this, they have different roles, relations, and responsibilities, distinct by paternity, the father, by generation, the son, and by procession, the spirit. And we'll talk about what those words mean soon. Uh, here's a good quote by a guy named Bray. It says this, God the Father is the person who ordains, establishes, judges, and appoints. He is also the person to whom worship is chiefly directed. The Son, Jesus Christ, appears as the Redeemer, the sacrificial victim and mediator. He is the guarantor of our salvation and the person whose likeness we are being molded. The Holy Spirit is the sanctifier, the first fruits of the inheritance of the glory that is to come. He dwells in the heart by faith, although not to the exclusion of Christ, and is responsible both for giving us access to the Father and for producing in us the image of Christ. So, who saved us? God did. But each part, each person of the Trinity has some distinct role and emphasis within our salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 18 says this, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So there's no question. The Spirit is God. He's one of the persons in the Trinity. Next section, it just says the Spirit is God. So we said God is triune. We connected the Spirit to that here. Just some specific verses that talk about the Spirit being God. So in Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17, we see again the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit present in the Son's baptism, all of them working together. How could someone who is less than being God function at the level of God with the Father and the Son. It wouldn't work that way. So the Spirit is one of the persons of the Trinity because He works with them in conjunction with the Father and the Son. As we mentioned before, in Matthew 28, we are to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three names spoken on the same level of authority. 1 Peter 1-2, the verse that I read a little earlier, the Father elects, the Spirit sanctifies, and it's Christ who cleanses. All three are participating in the salvation and the transformation of those who believe. So here's an interesting thing. And the early church took a couple hundred years to work through what this meant. So we're going to try to handle it in about three or four minutes. Let's see how we do. The Holy Spirit is sent, or another way of saying it, is the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. As far as we can understand, each person of the Trinity has the same, had the same roles and relationships throughout eternity. In other words, the Father has always been the Father, the Son has always been the Son, and the Spirit has always functioned as 
the Spirit. So there's some distinction. Um, that Another way of saying it is the Father is eternally parental. The Son is eternally generated or begotten of the Father, though not created or dependent for Him for deity. And the Holy Spirit eternally proceeds or is eternally sent from both the Father and the Spirit. Where do we get that? So if we go to John chapter 14, let's look at that passage together. Verse 26, it says this, Jesus is speaking, he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. Whom the Father will send in my name. So the Spirit has not yet come on the Christians. We see that happen in Acts chapter 1. But here, he says the Father is the one who's going to send the Spirit, or the Spirit proceeds from the Father. Okay, well, that seems pretty simple. Let's go to Romans 15, 26, just to make it a little more complicated. In 15, 26, Jesus, still speaking, says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. So in that verse, Jesus says, I will send the Spirit, the one who's with the Father, and then he goes on to say, from the Father, the Spirit proceeds. So there's almost like this dual procession, or both the Father and the Son are sending the Holy Spirit. So this was something that was argued about in the early church. Who sends the Spirit? Is it the Father or the Son? They first agreed it was the Father, and then they had to deal with chapter 15, verse 26, where it seems like the Son also sends the Spirit. So it's the, it's the doctrine of double procession, okay? The, the Spirit himself is sent by the Father and the Son. So the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed, the Articles of the English Church, the Westminster Confession, all of these state and describe this procession of the Holy Spirit. Next point is really interesting. The word proceedeth or sent is in the present tense in the original. Present tense. So even though it sounds like it's past tense, it's present tense in the original in the Greek, which has been accepted without opposition as indicating that, that the eternal, continuous sending of the Spirit from the Father and the Son is eternal in nature. That the Spirit has always been being sent forth by the Father and being sent forth by the Son. The present tense of that word, proceedeth, means that it is an ongoing forever action. So, in the same way when we're talking about Jesus, we would say He has always been the only begotten of the Father. We would also say the Spirit has always proceeded from the Father and from the Son. It's part of the nature of the Trinity. Is that something we can truly comprehend and understand? Probably not, but biblically it seems to be what he teaches and what is true. In Psalm 104, verse 30, we see a similar statement where it just says, you send forth your spirit. So even in the Old Testament, there's this idea of the sending of the spirit. Two quotes from Walford. One says, among the several conclusions which form a part of the doctrine of procession is the fact that the procession of the spirit is eternal. It's always been that way. As Christ became an obedient son in doing the Father's will, so the Holy Spirit in procession became obedient to the Father and the Son. Okay, so the Son's obedient to the Father, and then we see the Spirit being obedient to the Father and the Son as He's being sent by both. So we see that the Spirit is God. Now, in our membership statement of faith, there's a, there's a spot there where it talks about Him being a divine person. 
And I didn't spend time on that in the notes. So find a little white space in your notes. And I'm gonna give you another point that you won't find in your notes. The Holy Spirit is God, and he's also a divine person. What I mean by that is he has some attributes of personhood, just like we see in the Father and the Son. Here are some verses and some examples. In Isaiah, I'll read these slow enough for you to write them down. Isaiah 63, verse 10, and Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, talks about the Holy Spirit grieving. He grieves. Isaiah 63, 10, and Ephesians 4, 30. Another verse, Romans 15, verse 30, says that the Holy Spirit loves. So he grieves and he loves. In Acts chapter 8, verse 29, and this is one of a bunch of verses, I'll just give you that one. Acts 8, 29 says that the Holy Spirit speaks. In Romans 8, 27, it says he has a mind. Romans 8, 27, the Holy Spirit has a mind, the mind of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, 11 says that the Holy Spirit knows. 1 Corinthians 2.11 says the Holy Spirit knows. And finally, Acts 5.3 says that the Holy Spirit can be lied to. He can be lied to. So that's what we've got. So the Holy Spirit is a part of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God, and the Holy Spirit is a divine person. In our next study, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. That's going to be fun. I'll see you next time.